This is the Walking Home from the ICU podcast. I'm Kelly Dayton, a nurse practitioner and ICU consultant. I help teams create awake and walking ICUs through evidence-based sedation and mobility practices. By hearing from survivors, clinicians, and researchers, we'll explore how to give ICU patients the best chance to walk out of the ICU and go home to survive and thrive. Welcome to the ICU Revolution. Dr. Badke, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your career path, what your experience has been, what's led you to be here now? Okay, well, uh, so I am trained in pulmonary critical care. Uh, I did um, my kind of medical school training at the University of Washington, and then I went to Chicago at Northwestern and did internal medicine residency. And then I did fellowship in pulmonary critical care at the University of Utah. So. I've seen um, different kind of hospital environments and different kind of ways um, people um, take care of critically ill patients. Um, And ultimately, I I ended up here primarily just because I like Utah a lot. And, um, you know, after fellowship, uh, I, um, you know, wanted to kind of stay in clinical medicine. And this provided me a, a kind of a good resource to continue taking care of patients, but also kind of, um, have uh, kind of an academic or at least kind of um, I guess um, know more of a research-based approach to kind of taking care of patients so and you've been such a great fit for our team but it was probably a little bit of a change or transition as it is going anywhere new Um, what were some of the changes that you saw and what was that like to have a shift of perspective yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, like I kind of alluded to earlier, I think every, every, um, institution, um, kind of does things a little differently and obviously the culture, um, has some influence on that. Um, and, and I think in just in, in regards to kind of managing patients on the ventilator, um, I certainly have seen kind of differing kind of approaches, Um, I remember in in residency, the usual um, order set was, um, you know, get the patient intubated um, and then start a fentanyl and Ativan drip, you know, together. Um, And then, you know, once you've kind of resolved their kind of septic physiology or whatever they're being intubated for, you would then kind of stop the sedation and kind of see what happens. Um, What usually happened? Well, uh, you know, sometimes when patients would kind of wake up and, you know, we would, at that point, they could have been probably extubated earlier, but they'd wake up and then we'd just kind of pull the tube out. Sometimes, uh, certainly people would be super anxious and, you know, we'd have to give them more sedation um, to try to kind of get things calmed down. Um, Often it ended up, like I said, I think people were intubated longer than they needed to be. Um, and then when I started fellowship, um, you know, that, that, those drugs specifically were becoming less used and we were using more propofol, um, with kind of, um, as needed fentanyl, that was kind of the usual kind of cocktail. And, and generally you would intubate somebody, put them on a propofol infusion 
And the same thing kind of wait till their physiology improved. Um, and then, you know, each morning you do this kind of SBT um, where shut propofol off, see what they did. Um, if they were awake and, you know, improve their kind of respiratory kind of mechanics, then we try to extubate them. Um, so, so that was certainly kind of what I did up until kind of coming here. And then when I came here, um, you know, propofol is rarely ever used um, in kind of ventilated patients. Um, and sedation in general is kind of avoided, which is certainly a kind of a cultural change that, um, that I, I hadn't seen before necessarily. And what was that like for you? Did it concern you? Um, like I, well, I think that, I think not necessarily that it concerned me. I, I think what was more reassuring was this, that kind of the staff was not concerned. Hmm. I think a lot of, you know, our, from the, you know, physician or critical care um, physician perspective, it, sedation was more an issue of whether the nursing staff and um, the, the kind of day-to-day -day kind of staff taking care of the patients, how they felt and whether they felt comfortable. And often kind of sedation was driven by, hey, you know, this patient's out of control. Let's give them, can we get something for, you know, sedation essentially. And, you know, from my perspective, I, I, I didn't necessarily mind ordering that. Um, you know, I, um, you know, so, but avoiding it, um, I, certainly felt like was probably better. Um, and here seeing how calm um, the nursing staff was and the culture kind of just revolved around kind of avoiding sedation and everyone kind of knew that it made the whole process a lot better, I think. And, and from my perspective, I thought would be, you know, you know, I, I was a little surprised just with that. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, the, the mobility aspect of what we do here is also kind of, more than I was used to. Um, what had you seen across the board before? Well, this? I think, well, I guess, so in, in, in things kind of have evolved, just like sedation has evolved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think in residency, there was always maybe one or two patients on the unit that somehow magically was able to survive with the ventilator off sedation. But the majority of the patients were, you know, asleep or whatever sedated. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, then in, in fellowship, certainly kind of mobility, um, and physical therapy became, um, you know, a higher priority. Um, and so we had more staff to help out with that. And, and with that, um, people were getting less sedation. Um, and then, you know, here, at least when we kind of really focus on mobility, um, and getting people walking as soon as they're on the ventilator, um, you know, it's made a big difference, uh, I think, for patient outcomes, too. If you've been listening to this podcast, you're likely convinced that sedation and mobility practices in the ICU need to change. The ICU community is facing incredible difficulty with the trauma from the pandemic, staffing crisis, and burnout. We cannot afford to continue practices that result in poor patient outcomes, more time in the ICU, higher healthcare costs, and greater workload for the ICU team. Yet the prospect of changing decades of beliefs, practices, and culture across all disciplines of the ICU is a daunting task. How does this transformation start? 
it can begin with a consultation with me to discuss your team's current practices, barriers, and to formulate a plan to help your ICU become an awake and walking ICU. I help teams master the ABCDEF bundle through education, consulting, simulation training, and bedside support. Let's work together to move your team into the future of evidence-based ICU care. Click the link in the show notes of this episode to find out more. What was it like the first time you intubated someone here and then asked? Yeah, so I, well, I, yeah, and I, you know, um, one of the kind of standard things is, at least in fellowship was, you know, you, you would be putting all the orders in. So you get the um, patient intubated um, and then you put the vent orders in. And then with that, you put in sedation orders. And I often would just kind of ask the nurse kind of what they wanted. Um, and so I did that here and I said, you know, do you want, you know, should I just order propofol infusion, some as needed fentanyl? And they just kind of looked at me like I was crazy and said, no, we don't use propofol here unless we, you know, they just said we don't use it here. Um, and so that was kind of surprising, um, but kind of, you know, makes me realize you don't, you don't necessarily need it. Um, and again, I think it just trying to goes back to um, the comfort level of the staff here when it comes to kind of managing ventilated patients. Yeah, I think culture plays a huge role in that. And I too walked into this culture. I don't had to, didn't have to work on building it. It just was already here and it's continued. Yeah. Um, once you see, then there's no going back. It's hard to then choose to sedate people when you've seen how benefit, how much benefit there is to them being awake and mobile. Yeah. What have you seen in patient outcomes that's been impressive to you? Yeah, you know, I, I so I will see some of these patients um, in clinic, um, and, you know, from a pulmonary perspective, you know, if they have bad pneumonia or ARDS, I've seen some of them in clinic, and they're remarkably functional. Um, obviously, they're they're not back to kind of what they were like for their illness, but certainly they are um, living kind of independent lives and and doing remarkably well, um, considering um, how sick they were. Do you see a lot of them able to go back to work? Um, I think so. Um, or at least some form of work. It may not be the exact thing they were doing beforehand, but, um, and you know, sometimes it just depends on kind of the job they were doing. If it was a very physical kind of intensive job, they're not back to there. Um, but certainly they are kind of at or close to kind of getting back to where they or before they got sick, which I think is important. Yeah. Do you ever ask them about PTSD? Uh, I personally haven't. Um, so no. Yeah, I think that's probably kind of a new direction that we're starting to head, but it's all new research. Yeah. Um, what was it like to see someone that you just intubated walking on the ventilator? Um. Well, I think, again, it kind of shows you, you know, my, you know, going through training, it was, again, you know, the people, there was just a very rare kind of, you know, person that could tolerate the ventilator without being sedated. That's what, what my thought was, that, like, it's just, you know, certain per people can tolerate the, the ventilator, certain people can't. Mm -hmm. um, and now, kind of, as we're, you know, within this environment, it looks like everyone can tolerate the ventilator. 
and um, you know, walking them is even better um, in terms of kind of helping their anxiety and kind of normalizing the situation as best we can. I think that's what walking or at least mobility does is it kind of normalizes, um, you know, the situation for patients. Um, just like, you know, the ventilator while can be uncomfortable, um, shouldn't necessarily um, impede just like a nasal cannula. It doesn't necessarily impede kind of function. So um, I think that, uh, you know, again, as my kind of training kind of has kind of, evolved um that's become more and more of a uh, you know a everyday kind of thing and, and now it is an everyday kind of thing and so as a physician working with this really cohesive team what do you feel your role is in this protocol of sedation and mobility um and improving patient outcomes in the short and long term um well you know from my job is not really that I feel like influential. I really do think it's driven by kind of the comfort of the nursing staff, the physical therapist, the respiratory therapist. And, and my role is more kind of supportive. Um, and obviously kind of making sure that there are kind of medications available for anxiety and analgesia if we need them but to focus on not necessarily sedating people, but to keep them um, as functional and as alert as possible. Um, so again, my, my role is more to kind of enforce that, but not necessarily, I, I really think the staff here is what really kind of makes the change. Yeah, I feel the same way. But having physician support and making those changes and continuing this little bit of a rogue or different kind of protocol has made a huge difference and it's empowered and comforted the staff to continue on doing things that are different. So thanks for all your support and your awesome role on the team. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Andy. If you want to join in on the conversation, leave a voicemail at 801-784-0472 or reach out to me on Twitter. Schedule a consultation for your ICU, as well as find supportive resources such as the free ebook, case studies, episode citations, and transcripts. Please check out the website www.daytonicuconsulting.com.